0: the school of well-being podcast i am your host meg durham well-being speaker educator and coach together we're going to explore lessons to help us live well let the learning begin In this episode, I chat with Dr. Emily Meehan. Emily is an advanced sports dietitian and has completed a degree in human movement, a master's in nutrition and dietetics, and a PhD in nutrition and high-performance sport. Emily currently works with Victorian Institute of Sport, and prior to this, she worked with Collingwood AFL, AFLW, and the netball teams for over eight years. In this conversation, we discuss the impact our diet has on our performance, how to keep things in perspective, practical ways to fuel our bodies, and so much more. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Dr. Emily Meehan. Emily, welcome to the School of Wellbeing podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm really looking forward to this conversation because I must admit straight up, When it comes to food in my life, it's the first thing to go. When I get stressed, food goes out the window and I know when I'm really on top of things because I'm on top of my food. And I'd love for you to give us an understanding of how you became so passionate about the link between what we eat and how we perform. I think from a young age,
1: I was playing a lot of sport and I sort of realised quite early on that that sort of can have an impact on what you do but also as a young girl I was also very aware of my body that I was bigger than other girls and that I'd had matured more quickly than other girls and you know I got picked on for that you know and I remember I don't know how old I was maybe early teens going to weight watchers and you know that was driven by me not my family you know I just remember yeah going in and and weighing in at weight watchers and being you know a couple of I think it was like 500 grams over my previous weigh-in and them saying, now get back on track and just thinking, oh wow, like that's, that's amazing. And so you can't even imagine what people go through now with the pressures around them. But, you know, I always sort of continued on in sport and saw my body change so much. When I was rowing, I saw myself lose lots of weight and then I stopped rowing and continued to eat the same way and then saw how my body changed that way. I, I just saw that all the time. And then I finished school. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I loved sports. So I studied exercise science. I'm like, this is cool. St- I didn't know being a dietitian was a thing. I had one of my subjects, and I, which was nutrition. I was like, oh, this is cool. It's a thing. And so then from that point on, I I did all my electives so that I could get into a master's of nutrition and dietetics. Yeah, I was really interested in that. And it was really interesting, like in master's, so many people were there, I think not because they necessarily wanted to be dietitians. It was more that they had an interest in how they could improve themselves. I think that was a lot of people's motivation in the course, to be honest. So, yeah, so that was great. And I thought, you know, when I finished, I wanted to work in food industry. And I was like, I really want to work for Nestle. I was so excited about that and then didn't get a job there and was devastated. And I ended up working in health promotion. So running health programs in Minds essentially trying to impact people's lives. So working around shift work, and we were working on nutrition and exercise and how we could modify lifestyle factors. It was completely away from the sporting things, but seeing how nutrition and lifestyle choices impacted people's well-being was huge. And that just sort of continued throughout my career. And then I was lucky enough to get a job in professional sport, and it was a different kind of motivation for people for nutrition. You know, it wasn't just about being healthy or losing weight or, you know, which was everybody, when people think of nutrition, they always just think losing weight. Like that's, I don't know why there's always a link there, but yeah. And then it came down to sports performance. And I love that working with highly motivated individuals. I thought that was really cool. And I've continued doing that and Hey, not everyone's highly motivated if they are an athlete to change their nutrition, because as we know, it's one of the hardest things to change. It's not just lying on a massage table or a physio treatment table and getting something done. You actually have to go out there and do it yourself and you have to make changes and create new habits. It's really hard. And I still love that. (laughs) Helping people to do that and unlocking the sort of each of the little intricacies of their life and where they are and how to help them get better.
0: I love so much of that story. And I can really resonate with that Weight Watchers. And I remember when I was younger, it was something that was talked about at school. The Weight Watchers points, you could have a yeah. of cheesecake for the whole day yeah. or these other things. And I remember at that stage of the conversation around food, it wasn't about the quality of the food it was just a number of points and really thinking about that and I'm sure lots of listeners can remember that little book with the points and how that dominated a lot of conversations at lunchtime and recess and particularly going into social events and all the pressures around and this was before social media was a thing so now it's Really amplified. And curious to note that in that master's program, a lot of people had that motivation for themselves. I really want to unpack this and get a good understanding of food because it is so complex. And I think this is why I've waited so long to have someone on talking about food because I feel like it can be a bit of a minefield at the moment.
1: Oh, it's huge. It's impossible for most people to unravel the amount of information that's out there by flicking through any social media, let alone what you might see on the news or what you might Google. There is so much information. And the funny thing is, is that nutrition in itself isn't actually that complex. It's the behaviors around it. We've all got different reasons why we eat. It can be social, emotional, cultural. There are so many things why we eat. Eat because we're happy. We eat because we're sad. We eat because we're stressed. We get into these routines and habits that we form over a long period of time. And, but then we get thrown these different. Diets that are out there, whether it's intermittent fasting or removing complete food groups. Don't eat dairy, don't eat carbs or gluten. You know, how are we all meant to understand that? I have studied this for a long time. I still probably wouldn't consider myself an expert. There is so much information out there that I'm constantly learning. So how can I expect anybody else without that background knowledge to figure out what's going on and what's going to work for them. Again, I think the one thing that we always forget is that, you know, we see these things on social media and just because one person says it works for them, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work for you. Their reasons for eating is so different to why you eat, what you can eat and what you can access um, and what you have the budget to purchase. It's really hard and complex to sort of figure that out, which is why nutrition is so individual and what we eat is so individual. It's not a one-size-fits-all approach
0: think a lot of people listening will have a bit of relief to think yes there is no right way to eat we need to think about what works for us and really break apart the difference between the nutrition side the food side and our behaviors around it and why we eat the way we do it wasn't until recently when I was talking to a sleep expert that I noticed for myself a lot of my sugar in the afternoon came with the fatigue because I was tired. I was getting into a habit the days where I was tired. Then I was propping myself up more and more. And just since making that link, it's like, oh, I'm tired. I could have a nap or I could just read my book and just recharge. I don't have to reach for that chocolate or those dried apricots or whatever it seems to be in the cupboard and starting to notice all of these stories and behaviours we have around food, to break it right down, why is food so important?
1: Purely from a nutrition perspective, you know, a quick Nutrition 101, we've got your macronutrients, so that's your carbohydrates, your proteins and your fats, and then we've got micronutrients, your vitamins and minerals, iron, calcium, vitamin D, for example. And they all have a role to play, so our macronutrients are providing us with energy, calories. And we need a certain amount of calories every day just for our body to function. So our heart beats. And so we can walk around and we can, our brain can function and we can move and be us. And then there's the exercise, the incidental exercise that we do as well. And then there's your micronutrients that support your health. So that can be your immunity, your bone health, endocrine function, all of that. We need to make sure that we're getting a nice balance of that. What we seem to do in this day and age is one, we try and cut calories. We think that 1,200 calories is enough when it's not. We try and remove entire food groups, which means that not only are we removing a significant amount of energy, but we're removing really important micronutrients that support our health. I suppose with nutrition, unless we're really in touch with our body, we don't necessarily feel it straight away. Some of us might, some of us might not. What happens over a long period of time? that can then have those health implications. So we might see that, you know, if we've cut calories and energy for such a long period of time, we'll start to see brain fog or injury, low immunity, gut upset, you know, even further down the track, we might start to see implications on bone. So osteoporosis, for example, if we're not getting enough calcium, you might not feel it right now in the change that you make. And so many people are looking for that quick fix to lose weight, and that's what their outcome is from nutrition. If I change my nutrition, I will lose weight. But they don't necessarily think of everything that's linked to that and what that could entail. We think we're feeling fatigued in the afternoon. Well, did we eat breakfast? Did we have lunch? Did we include everything in lunch that we needed to include so that we didn't feel hungry and fatigued in the afternoon? Have we had enough water? All of these things that we tend to forget, especially busy, working, working. Mums, athletes, (laughs) anyone, students, kids at school have such busy schedules. So not only are they at school and all the extracurriculars that they're doing, are we eating to fuel what we're doing? A lot of people aren't. We don't necessarily think that way. We get up too late so we don't have breakfast or we don't have time because we're fed the kids but we haven't fed ourselves. So we're not necessarily fueling for our own health and performance.
0: I love that idea of food as fuel instead of just thinking food, how much I weigh or what I look like, going beyond that narrative is what I'm putting in my mouth, fueling me to be the athlete, to be the teacher, to be the parent, to be the student that I want to be.
1: And are you eating enough just to support your health? Let's build a healthy person and then let's build a high performing person because ultimately you're not going to perform well if you're not healthy.
0: I love that distinction as well, that if we really want to be high performing, and I believe that every individual has potential to be high performing in whichever way they spend their day, but to get there, we need to work on those foundations. And if those foundations are quite stretched or unstable by taking out major food groups, because what I heard from you when you talked about taking about the major food groups, it might not be the fact that it's dairy as such. It's the whole thing that goes with that, the micronutrients associated with that, thinking about the long-term consequences. Yeah, it might feel good in the moment, but are we missing vital building blocks that we'll need in the future? And having a bigger perspective when it comes to what we eat and why we eat. Again, it comes
1: down to to our behaviours. Food is fuel. And for some people, food is exactly that. I will feel myself and that is it, okay? There are some people, you know, lots of people, lots of cultures that sitting down and enjoying a meal together, celebrating with food is a huge part of their life and we should embrace that. That is totally okay. We should celebrate with food and we should sit down and enjoy a meal with our family and our friends and that is okay. And the sad thing is that so many people are like, oh, no, sorry, I can't go out to dinner and I'm on my keto diet or whatever and they're not going to have options for me there so I can't go and sit down and have a meal with someone and enjoy that. Or the guilt that we feel after we've had that celebratory meal, because oh, you know, I ate carbs and now I feel guilty. Everything that's associated with eating now has become, you know, foods and good are good or bad, and then there's guilt associated with that. Our behaviours have become so driven by guilt and restriction, which is really scary. But also, foods that are labelled as good or bad, like my three-year-old is already telling me about red foods, and I don't mean the colour red. I mean that red foods are bad, and I. No food is bad. Nothing, you know, there's no food that is bad. You can overconsume vegetables and that's not great for you. You can overconsume water. That's not great for you. It's all about balance, but finding that balance and knowing what that balance is again because we don't know that. Also just figuring out, okay, why do I eat? Observing what you do in the moment while you're eating. Am I taking this in? Do I feel full? Is this meal satisfying me from a physical perspective in my stomach, but is it also satisfying me from a mental and emotional perspective as well? Like if you're going to sit down to a salad every lunch and not feel satisfied, and then in the afternoon, you're like, oh, I'm so hungry. Then you reach for the chocolate or the biscuits or whatever you want to reach for because you're hungry because you didn't have a good lunch, then sort of what's the point? Let's find the balance again. Let's figure out why we eat, when we eat, what we do while we're eating. Again, like I was doing it the other day, I was standing up and eating. Meanwhile, telling my daughter to sit down and eat. But she's just replicating what I do, eating on the go, because that's what I'm trying to do with two kids. I shouldn't be doing that. I should be sitting down at the table and eating a meal, eating my snack rather than shoveling it in my mouth and inhaling it, which is then what she does and she replicates that. Yes. It's just observing the behaviours around food and figuring out what we're doing and why. And then we can as an individual, you can break that down and then try and know whether you need to modify that behaviour. Also accept that and not be so hard on ourselves that that's what we do. We are so harsh on ourselves as humans. And I think that we just need to give ourselves a bit of a break
0: sometimes. And that's what I'm getting so much already from this conversation. When it comes to food, let's just relax a little bit. Let's have a more balanced perspective instead of good, bad. I feel at times that it's almost like a moral judgment. Oh, I can't believe you let your children eat that. Oh, I can't believe you're eating that and just relax a little bit, see the benefits and the beauty in all of the foods that we have to offer and what they bring. It could be that social connection, laughter, being a part of a group, and that's really important for our health yes. and our well-being. just relaxing that we're not going to get it right every day. However, there are things that we can do consciously to slowly shift our behaviours around food, to move towards that desired state of fueling our body and feeling good during the day, but also feeling good over time. Because I've noticed a real pattern that people get into about being so strict around something. So it could be the latest diet, so strict. This is what I'm going to do for four weeks or eight weeks. And we know that they last probably a week if they're lucky. And then it becomes this vicious cycle of, I failed, I didn't do it well, I can't believe I did that, I'm useless, and then eat everything in sight. Well, I failed now, so let's just open up the floodgates until they get to that point where they're so frustrated that, okay, what's the next thing? Let's Google the next thing, next thing. Is that a common pattern that you see? You're listening to the School of Wellbeing with Meg Durham. To learn how I can help you thrive, visit openmindeducation.com. There you will find out about a range of wellbeing programs I offer. Now let's get back to my conversation with Dr. Emily Meehan.
1: Absolutely. Everyone's looking for the quick fix. If you're going to constantly try and find the quick fix, You're just going to overcomplicate things again. You're going to lose perspective of what good nutrition looks like. What good nutrition looks like is something that you can sustain for life, that you can modify each day based on what you're doing. Just finding balance over that time. You can't judge yourself on one day of intake because there are many, many days in the week, in a fortnight, in a month, in a year. One day isn't going to be your unraveling. I think we need to accept that and that's okay. And like you said, you know, you open the floodgates. If you have a bad meal, if you have a bad day, if you have a bad week, It's not the end. There is balance within there. You just—we are just so harsh on ourselves. We just need to put that into perspective and also appreciate that. You know, if we feel like we've had that meal that you know that we consider bad, let's think about what that meal brought us that wasn't just what you consider bad. Who did you enjoy it with? And is that okay? Did you actually enjoy it? Did it taste good? If it did, great. If it didn't, well, choose something different next time. It's okay. It won't undo us let's just find some balance over that time. And let's also redefine what balance looks like. You know, with documentaries and social media, I'm not sure we know what balance looks like anymore. And for some, you know, like I said before, that is removing whole food groups, could be changing our dietary patterns, going from eating meat to not eating meat, from eating grains and carbohydrates to not. All of these foods are totally fine to eat, you need to look at what are the portion sizes of these things that we eat. We massively over-consume meat. So let's redefine what a portion size looks like of meat that provides us with the essential nutrients that we need each day. For example, meat, you know, so many people, instead of reducing their portion sizes of meat, well, let's go vegetarian or go vegan. Okay. And your motivations behind that can be obviously very different. It can be environmental, it can be for health, it can be ethical. And that's totally fine what your choices are. If it's from a nutrition perspective, if you want to be more healthy and then you remove that entirely, well, let's think, okay, an actual portion of red meat is 70 grams, not the 300 gram T-bone that you were sitting down to eat previously. So to get the nutrition that you need, it's the 70 grams of meat. And if you enjoy it, but then you think you need to remove it for health, well, let's just take it back, still consume it. Just don't consume it so it's the size of your plate. Let's just take it down that your meat or your protein portion is a quarter of your plate. A quarter of the plate is is a meat or a fish. And that's what we consider healthy. That's providing the nutrients to your body that we need rather than completely removing those food groups. Grains. We want to eat pasta and rice, which we, you know, and bread. We all love that. and I don't know how many times I hear people telling me that they've removed bread and pasta from the diet because they think that's good for them. With all of the information that's put out there, why wouldn't it be? <laughs> the thing is, it provides us long-lasting energy across the day. It keeps us feeling fuller for longer. It provides us fibre, which is good for gut health. We're also eating probably three to four times the portion size that we should be eating. So let's take it down to a quarter of the plate. And again, it's going to be different for every individual depending on how active you are as well. Again, it's that portion distortion coming back to how much do we actually need of these things. Let's not remove it entirely. Let's acknowledge that they provide us essential nutrients and let's get back to what that sort of looks like, what what is good for us.
0: The picture that you're painting for me around balance is quite different to the picture that I see on my own plate because I think I've got that portion distortion where you load up on things and thinking about with a steak, a serving would be do you say 70 grams? Yeah. That's um, much smaller. than what i would normally have and thinking about cutlery our bowls our plates we've got some beautiful family cutlery and crockery that have come from generations before and the cereal bowls you look at and think what is that is that's so small and the mugs for a cup of tea are so small and then i look at what we have now i think they're so big so maybe we need to be mindful of the portion size, that's a really great way to start to notice how we're fueling our body and maybe overfueling at times just because of the quantity of what we're eating.
1: And it is, it's down to quantity. It's just coming back to what is actually balanced. And for me, when I'm working with anybody, it's sort of if you're looking at a meal, you, you just need to tick off sort of three things, thinking about a good quality protein, whether that's red meat, chicken, fish, eggs, Could be legumes or like a tofu or a tempeh, for example. A quarter of the plate is a really good quality grain, maybe a rice or a pasta or a good quality bread. And then half your plate is lots of colorful vegetables. So you've got your three things there. Then you design what you want on that plate. It could be a homemade burger, it could be a nice looking burrito bowl, it could be a stir fry, it could be meat and veg and potato. Again, doesn't have to be fancy. And lunch. Lunch is always something that people struggle with. It always, I don't know why we've moved away from the the humble sandwich. A good sandwich, some chicken, some salad and good quality grain bread. Actually a bit easier than we think it is. And we always try to go for the fancy, but we don't need to. Again, I know I make that sound really simple and easy and it's not always going to be that. But they're just coming back to that simple picture, ticking off those three things and creating what you have, what you can with what you've got, I think is
0: balance. And so what I'm picturing is a conversation that I've had with my grandmother around food. And she often says, growing up, they didn't have the supermarkets. They didn't have what we have now. They just had the little grocer, the butcher, the milk was delivered in the bottles and it was very simple. And so, maybe we need to go back to our origins and just eating real food regularly.
1: Yeah, that's it. It is really simple if we look at it that way. And then sometimes it's okay when we rely on those convenient options. Sometimes that real food is probably put into convenience options that may be a little bit more processed. You know, it makes it convenient for us. So rice, for example, microwave rice. If we don't have time, then it's totally fine. Frozen veggies, highly nutritious, and that is okay. So it doesn't always have to be fresh. Sometimes we're going to use those good convenience options to complete our meal and make life a little easier for us as well.
0: Without a doubt. And I'd love to hear from you, Emily, with the people that you've worked with. Can you share an example or a story where their nutrition has really transformed their experience and performance?
1: Thing that I come across often is underfueling, not getting enough for the amount of activity that they're doing. In most cases, it's inadvertent. They don't realize that they're not providing their body with enough. They start to feel those effects of fatigue. In one particular case, I remember talking to this athlete and they're like, I just feel so foggy in my brain. Can't sort of think properly. I can't concentrate. They were also getting injured quite a lot and their immunity was really low. When we looked at their nutrition, they were probably eating half the amount in terms of if we're looking overall energy that they required for their expenditure, so what, all of the activity that they were doing. And they weren't even meeting what their minimum requirements were if they were sedentary. They didn't realise that. Throw in working and training to be a professional athlete and then everything that comes along with that. So all of the external sort of pressures that come along with being an athlete and all of the commitments that they have to go along with that, whether it's going out into the community and doing clinics and that sort of thing, appearances, everything that they have to do, doctor's appointments, all of that. They just generally felt rubbish. Still performing okay but felt pretty rubbish. When we looked at their nutrition, yeah, it was just significantly under what they required. We had to work on just simple ways of making things easy for them. Okay, so you are this busy and it's not going to get less busy for you. How can we make it easier for you? What can we do that so you've always got food with you? We worked on having snacks in their training bag that weren't perishable, packs of nuts, up and goes, muesli bars, nut bars, Those things that would always be in the training bag that if they didn't have time or they were in the car driving, they could always have that. And then there were also the options that I get home after a long day of work and training. What am I going to eat? I can't be bothered cooking. What are your options? They weren't a massive fan of cooking. So we worked on finding an option that was convenient for them and we found a great business that did meals that we could put in the freezer, that all they had to do was heat up on the stove for 20 to 30 minutes. And they were getting veggies, a good carb and a good protein. And that just made it really easy for them. Eventually, they got back towards feeling better. The fogginess went away. Their energy came back. They were performing better as well um, on court. That was great for them. So they didn't really sort of necessarily realise that that was all linked to nutrition. They thought that was, I'm tired from everything that I do
0: and joining those dots that maybe this brain fog, this fatigue is linked to what we're fueling our body with. And I'm thinking about a lot of teachers listen to this podcast and a lot of parents listen to this podcast. They have to perform every single day. As you know, with two young children, there's no days off. You have Mm -hmm. to keep performing and be up and thinking about how are we fueling ourselves? Are we potentially under ourselves using the sugars in the afternoon or those lots of people that I work with, they say, you know, once it's after school time, all bets are off. I just reach for anything and everything and go for it. And maybe a slight change could be, having options, knowing that you're going to be tired, you won't be bothered cooking. So what can we do with that reality? And I love that's how you supported that athlete to say, well, you don't like cooking. Fair enough. Instead of saying, well, you should really learn how to cook, It's that's how you need to do it and work with our strengths. Because I know for me, cooking is not natural strength. It's not something that I lean towards food. I just want to get it done. And so giving ourselves permission doesn't have to be cooked from scratch there are lots of convenient options and working with our reality that some stages of our life we have a lot more time and space to be creative and other times we just need to get fed
1: if you throw kids into the mix sometimes preparing multiple meals or having to create a meal that you know everyone will eat it is really hard giving permission or feeling okay that it doesn't always have to be from scratch is totally fine having those options having those practical and easy go-tos, the best support that we can give ourselves.
0: Supporting ourselves by having options readily available. For the average family, people are working hard, they've come home, there's that dreaded question, what's for dinner? For whatever reason, you haven't got everything planned. What are some really simple go-tos that we could draw upon? I think my easiest go-to is
1: barbecue chicken wraps and salad. That's always my... On the way home, off to the supermarket, the easiest thing that I could possibly do. I always find that we have a there's a particular company that I use, and again, it's not because I have any affiliations with them, but they have great frozen the main component of the meal. So like burrito mixes and bolognese sauces, and so things like tacos or burrito bowls or those sorts of things, I find are, are really easy. I pull that out, or if I've pre-made it on the weekend, then I do that you know, a grilled meat or fish of some sort it takes 10 minutes. So I think they're our
0: easiest go to Yes. And thinking about what is on offer now at supermarkets, there are so many pull together salads you can whip off the shelf. And as you say, you can buy a roast chook, whip that apart. You've got the salad that's already made, you've got the roast chook and just moving through that hurdle of, it'll take a little bit of effort to get those things in the moment. And it'll be worth it at the other end that we're fueling our body with what it needs to really function well.
1: That's it. And it doesn't always have to taste amazing. It doesn't have to be restaurant quality. You know, we're not all master chefs. That is okay. Let's be honest. The kids want bland anyway. So, it's <laughs> it's okay. But, you know, look, in saying that, some of us do prefer something that does taste better and that's what satisfies us emotionally as well. So, and then also some of us might just not have access to those foods or have the money to be able to go and just buy those convenient options. Sort of figure out what's going to work for them in their current situation.
0: that brings up that lovely point of just because such and such down the road is doing this for their family doesn't mean that you have to do it or someone on instagram's doing that doesn't mean you have to do it that every individual has different circumstances different finances different pressures and staying in our own lane when it comes to food and fueling in a way that really works for us emily if there's a teacher listening or a parent listening who's just feeling overwhelmed, brain fog, everything feels a little bit hard. What would your advice be to them when it comes to making a start in this area?
1: Start small. Choose one thing that you can work on initially. Finding the space to be able to think about where you might need to help yourself. You might be sitting here going, I know I skip breakfast every morning because I don't have time. And maybe that's the first thing that you work on. Ultimately, if you set your day up that way, if you have a decent breakfast, then it's going to have an on-flow effect throughout the day. Identify that one thing for you. You know, I, I feel like some listen to this and go, "Oh, my worst thing is the afternoon going towards the chocolate in the afternoon." I'm going to cut chocolate out entirely. Going cold turkey is probably not going to be the easiest thing for you because I find that as soon as I tell myself I can't have something, all I want is that. Maybe sit down, identify why are you doing that particular thing in the afternoon that you might feel is what's not good for you well is it because you have skipped breakfast or you haven't had a good lunch i think it's just yeah it's finding the time sit down think about what that thing is for you that you feel like you can change work on that don't expect it to change in a day or a week or a month and sometimes you might revert back to old habits and that is okay too I think it's finding the time and the space to identify what that might be for you and then working on how you can change
0: that. Feels so much better now from having this conversation, Emily. And I'm really looking forward to thinking about the one thing in my life that I can just focus on because food can be overwhelming. There's a lot of information out there. To wrap this conversation up, I'd love to invite you to finish four sentences. Are you up for that? Sure. Sounds good. I am inspired by my sister. Oh, lovely. I hope she listens. When my life feels hard.
1: I focus on my girls.
0: An underrated skill is. Listening. And I am looking forward to. My daughter's and my sister's
1: birthday this Friday.
0: Lovely. Emily, I really feel that people who've listened to this conversation are going to feel a sigh of relief and relax a little bit step back a bit of perspective when it comes to food not be so intense about it notice why we do what we do and then gently focus on what we can within our reality thank you so much for sharing what you know with us today
1: no thank you for having me it's been great
0: I thoroughly enjoyed chatting with Emily and loved how she invited us to get back to basics and remove all the drama and tension and stories when it comes to what we eat. To learn more about Emily's work in the world, visit DrEmilyMeehan.com. There you can learn more about the programs Emily runs with schools, sports teams and workplaces or book a private consultation. Before you go, I'd like to invite you to complete two sentences. Number one, from this conversation, I want to remember... And number 2, the action I'm going to take in the next 24 hours to support my well-being is The podcast is a labor of love and it takes a lot of time and energy to create. If you would like to support the show and keep it going, please rate and review on iTunes and Spotify and share with your family, friends and colleagues. You can find all the links from this episode by visiting openmindeducation.com forward slash episode 33. Thank you for listening to this episode of the School of Wellbeing and I look forward to sharing more heartfelt conversations with you next week.